So I'm Dan Gudry and welcome to my podcast. I wanted to give a voice to the hidden stories within the command and control market. So we're here today with uh, my first guinea pig, Michael Peebler from Atlas IED. Michael's been a friend of mine for uh, several years. Uh, definitely knows a different side of this market and I'm uh, thrilled to have you as my first guest on the show. Thank you. Episode number zero. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love being the first. Yeah, and we've had enough conversations about this. Uh, you've been with Atlas IED now four years. And um, I, I have a true respect for the organization because you talk about the space that I love in a very different way than other you know, manufacturers do in the space. Uh, when when I use words like situational awareness and uh, automating you know, situational awareness and response and, and, and mass communications, those are all buzzwords that you guys talk about on a regular basis. So what I kind of thought we start off talking about mass notification and controller environments and why audio is important in controller environments. Share some thoughts. Yeah, sure. So let's start with the definition because I think it's really important. So mass notification tends to allude to this NFPA 72, right? So we've got to have in line management, redundancy, all that kind of stuff. And, and we do that solution. We have that solution. We offer it. And if you look at all the work we do at all the airports around the country and around the world, um, we're compliant to that requirement. But you hear us use the term mass communication all the time. And the reason is the customers really want the same thing, but they don't want to have to meet that legal standard. Um, there's, a, there's a cost difference um, in that kind of solution. But what it really comes down to is the customer just wants to know that they've got a point of communication to every device possible and to every square foot that they are responsible for, reliable for, right? And so that's really our focus. So when we talk about our product, uh, our IP endpoint product, IPX, um, and our partnership with SQL Wire, we're talking mass communication because we can do communication from a mobile device to a desktop device to any of our ID endpoints, whether that's in a room, like classroom, whether that's in a hallway, or whether that's a parking lot practice field, because every one of those spaces is an area that they're the customers rely are, are liable for, and so um, so yeah, mass communication is at an, a big important part of what Atlas IED does, um, and actually in the last four years had represented the single biggest area of growth for us. So last year that area that that section grew about forty seven and a half percent year over year. Uh, we're in the middle of December. We'll end this year up about another forty percent in that area. Uh, with no indications whatsoever that that area is slowing down. So it's a big part of what we did. Yeah, and it, you know, it, over the years, I've always said that, you know, this market of command and control is usually, uh, it's usually tied to tragedy. Yeah. Uh, you know, our innovations, our advances in spaces, the money that's invested in this market. You know, when you talk about the world of security and the world of control rooms, you know, people don't spend money in there unless there's an incident around it, whether it's something, you know, really big, uh, or even just you know something like a, like a cyber penetration or what have you, uh, and the mass communication conversation really speaks to some of those things. You know when you look at school lockdowns and you look at domestic disputes that that spill over into the corporate work environment. You know the conversation used to be about you know to your point speakers. Yeah, right. That. Now it's you know well I might not have a speaker everywhere that I need to get audience to or. Maybe I don't want to communicate as broadly as I might because I have an active shooter in the building and I don't want to give away a playbook or whatever. Yeah. So now I need to get out to those mobile devices or pick and choose where I need to go. So, no, I, I, I think you guys are definitely on the right page with that. 
and it is a different side of the market. When we talk historically about control room environments, uh, I think people will first think of large video walls, which has absolutely nothing to do with Atlas ID. Yeah, right. right. Uh, other than maybe your dashboards and maybe some yeah, air content sure. on the wall. Right, right. But you know, when when I'm out there talking to end users, I, I, you know, audio is as important absolutely. as video is, and in some cases even more so. Uh, for instance, right now during this podcast, we look really good on Game of <laughs> but realistically, this podcast is not successful without good clear audio. Yeah, sure, absolutely. And that applies to you know whether we're talking about command and control environments, where we're talking about communication outwards. And I'll give you that for instance, right? Which is mass communication. It's not just about getting the audio out there, but taking it in the right places and also yeah. the right quality of audio. Yeah. We were talking earlier. One of the projects that we have in common, be it Atlas ID and Dan sure. Gundry, uh, was working on the World Trade Center uh, Transportation Hub for right. up in New York City, which is a project that is born out of tragedy, of course, uh, with 9-11. In the conversation, though, I was unaware that you guys had done some of the things that are up there. That's a challenging environment to do the types of audio systems that you guys did. Talk to, talk, talk to me about that. Yeah, and so to be fair, as I mentioned project happened before we got there, but um, and just in talking to the team and, and seeing, you know, being part of the case studies and, and seeing what came out of that, you know, you first, you have three very distinct areas, right? So you've got a shopping mall, you've got the train area, then you've got the the, the walkway and the uh, traverse to the, the 9-11 museum. And all three are acoustically very different. The needs for the communication types in all three are, are different. And so, um, that project in particular was really part of managing all of the different gods that were involved because you've had OIT security and a lot of, you know, very big government entities at both the state and federal level that, for the obvious reasons, were involved in that. Um, and so everybody wanted their systems in. Um, it also was big, and, and I think this is really important when we talk about control rooms, because audio has to be a part of all of the other things that are in there, right? And so um, you mentioned before, you know, there's a lot of video. Right? There's a lot of video that it gets associated with the control room environment. Uh, but if you take an incident, and I, and I hate to ever talk any specific incident, right? Because I don't want to ever look like we're capitalizing on it better. But one of our most recent really horrific incidents with the school shooting here in Texas involved a... a a person walking into a classroom with where the door was not shut in the first place and walked in with no obstacle whatsoever and then shut the door. And, and there's no camera in the classroom, right? That, that's generally, there. we're starting to see some of that, but there's not, there was no way to know what was going on in that room uh, other than what you could hear from the outside um, because there was no audio in there. There was no microphone where they could listen in. There was no way that someone at a command and control center could be talking in the earpiece of the people on site saying, here's what I'm hearing being said, and this is what I'm, and that's what people fail to understand. The World Trade Center obviously has to have all of that. They have to, pardon me, have sensors for everything to really come back and, and bring people in to what's going on in these environments, and then how are we gonna cre uh, create all of our different situations, and then what's gonna be fully automated and what's gonna be you know, manually overridden at all of it. So uh, that project in particular, I think the, I don't want to say the political nature, but the importance of it, uh, which obviously it represented a big part of America kind of coming back 
um, and New York City coming back, um, put a lot of pressure on making sure it was done in a timely way, but at the same time, it had to really be done right. And it, and it, that it comes out of tragedy, but it was also uh, something that spawns a lot of uh, evolution and development in our industry and us working with the organizations. And the reality is it all of that trickles its way down to other environments, right? It's kind of the whole idea that, you know, all these Formula One and NASCAR cars are testing stuff that eventually make it into years of my car. The reality is out of these tragedies quite often, it forces people to work together in a way that evolves the technology. And then that ends up being in our kids' schools, right? Or kids' college campuses or our workplaces. Um, and hopefully it creates, as we tell customers all the time, that the world outside your environment is changing dramatically. We have to evolve the world inside your environment to be prepared for that. So to your point, we're seeing in the workplace right now with all the the hybrid stuff. You know, the the pandemic really forced innovation. These tragedies that we've talked about force innovation to an extent, or at least even a different perspective. The tools may have actually been there instead of just putting them together in a different kind of building block scenario. The conversation I like to have is about situ uh, automating situational awareness. I talk about that very often because the operator experience in a command and control environment is already such a stressful environment. They're monitoring all kinds of different data points. They've got all kinds of different systems they're managing. The more that we can get these systems talking to each other, okay. and you were talking about the responsiveness to a school shooting, whereas you know now it's we're going to extend the control room out into the field, and can, extending that out is not just about video, but it's also about audio. Okay. You know, the first responders out there, if I share something with them during a, a during a, a, a radio call, great. Sharing content than real-world content, they can see what's happening on, makes an even more uh, improved uh, response. And then you tie in reliability, then you tie in redundancy, yeah. all things that Atlas ID has in their product line because they've thought that piece through. So I, I, I definitely can appreciate that. So automating situational awareness, yeah, right? Sure. Those alarms, those triggers. Yeah. You know, uh, talk to me about some of the things you guys have seen, some of the things you're doing out there. What, what should people be aware of that's possible? Yeah, so... So first I want to say that, you know, one of the things that we've done that I think differentiates us is we hired an ex-lease and SWAT officer who was the entry person on the SWAT team for 30 years. Uh, Ex-Marine as well, uh, great guy. Um, and he has worked with our sales teams, our product management teams, uh, an engineering or senior leadership team to really understand what we're fighting out there. Right, because we all have our perception. You know, you can watch the news, you can read the newspaper stories, and the articles, and and all the different magazines. But he's been in the places none of us want to be, and he can tell you where your investment, if you're an end customer, really makes the most sense. And so, one of the things that was pretty interesting, he was quizzing us the first time we were working with it. Sure. And he said, "Okay, so you make the announcement that the school's in lockdown. How many times do you play that announcement?" Is it, and he goes, I'll give you an option. Is it once? Is it for, you know, a, a set number of times, you know, 10 or five minutes or something like that? Or is it infinity until it gets turned off? And there was a group of us and he made every one of us answer individually. And then he made us all justify our answer, right? And the answer was you play it to infinity, right? And you play it as loud as you can for infinity to do everything you can to distract the person doing something bad. 
right? That Okay, that seems logical. But here's where his experience was so vastly different. He's carrying a 60-pound shield or carrying a shield. He's got 60 pounds of gear on, right? He's not a huge guy, right? It's the first one through so he fits, right? And he's walking down the hallway with a shield in front of him with a weapon in the other hand and then the earpiece coming from a command and control center. And they're telling him everything. And he's like, there's all kinds of noise going on. I need every bit of coverage I can get when I get in that building, Mm -hmm. right? And then the other big thing he said is that, unfortunately, shooters shoot at what they hear, not at what they see. So interesting. If you've got, he goes, we've got extensive video of somebody whimpering, dropping a bug, doing something, a shooter turning and shooting. So I want that noise so loud and over and over that I can distract and I can get the coverage I need and give the coverage to everybody else in there. And in that moment, we kind of all just, you know, you kind of lose your breath for a second and then you picture these horrific scenes and you go, well, we really got to get this right. Yeah, this, this is the difference between saving lives and selling technology, right? Right, Punderson. So what, what's out there? So we have a unique partnership. We partnered with two other manufacturers. Um, again, we are part of a bigger ecosystem, right? So actually three other manufacturers. Uh, we partnered with a, a company that does microphones that plug into security cameras because some people I know might not that most cameras have the ability to have audio but don't have a microphone for audio. And so there's a cameras everywhere, but it's silent. Right, so you have no idea what's going on, and if you're out of view, you have really no perspective whatsoever. As soon as they move out of range of the camera, it it could be a fight, an argument, something else going on that you could hear, but with a microphone can't hear. So, partnered with them. Partnered with one of the major camera manufacturers in the industry, and then we partnered with the lighting company. So when something happens, an event happens, that light can come on to create visual awareness that this is where there is an incident, so stay away from the light. We've got the microphone to record that, so a lot of cameras have loud noise detection. It, again, can be tied into something like shooter detection. Um, Our system can then give visual notification, right, with our LED screens and that audio announcement that can go in and trigger um, everything from announcements to cell phones to you know, foreigns again in the parking lot faking system. So the idea that everything can be one combined system that can be fully triggered means that the person whose job is to start the lockdown doesn't have to be in the right place. Sure. It just is going to start. And and that saves lives because every second makes a difference, right? And getting people behind a locked door. Um, and so... We see our systems being more fully integrated into a bigger ecosystem or product now than ever before, particularly with our IP points. But it uses a lot of a lot of these jobs. These are analog horns and analog speakers, depending on how big the space is they're trying to cover. Then, and I, and I think that's that's where the industry, it's where the best practices in the, in the industry is going. Uh, integrations. You alluded to something in the last conversation, in in the last point, as, as well as when we were talking before, Nan. Because I, I've I've had a foot in the security world doing GSOCs and command centers and also my life primarily in pro AV, uh, and and I see similarities and differences when I look at security practitioners, AV practitioners, the challenges, the world, and what have you. 
Um, you also have a different perspective on some of that because I think a lot of AV companies don't really understand how either close security is to AV, but also some of those differences, some of those challenges. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. Yeah, so this has been the biggest learning curve, you know, myself and Gina Sensevero came over from, you know, 20 plus, well, for me, 20 plus years in the AV industry and coming here and getting exposed to the security side was like, wow, it was it was really shocking. It was learning a new language and to share a previous conversation, we're still having to learn that language better, right? So every, everything was different and and nothing was wildly different. Um, and, and so I guess from, you know, it, it starts with purchasing, right? Simple enough. Um, everybody in the AV industry wants to have a direct relationship with you for your manufacturer. No one in the security industry really has an interest in a direct relationship because they've got a relationship with one or more large international uh, distributor. So uh, a Lesko, uh, you know, uh, uh, architect of ABI, whoever. And so the conversations right off the bat are different, sure. right? You know, uh, an AV dealer sits down and talks to you about the IR and that's not a term that ever comes up, you know, and, and I've had some pretty eye-opening conversations with security guides about how the distribution game has changed. And at being an AV guide, distribution was for people that didn't have great credit, right? Sure. And and wow, so not the case, right? And and our distribution partners have been huge in our growth and helping us better understand the language. But the fascinating thing for me is that the biggest challenge as we've evolved is that no one knows who owns the space when we start talking about this mass communication space. The security guys will take it. Chirp, the AV guys want to think about it. And so what we've seen is the security industry continuing to have some record growth and it's slowly taking away work from a lot of the integrators who could be, it's their customer too. And they're letting that go to, to somebody else. The biggest difference though that I was shocked by is just everything in security is video. I, I remember the first ISC West that I was at in Las Vegas, walking around trying to find an audio company. <laughs> And I couldn't, and and I now know several names of, of good good companies. I don't mean anything negative by that, but it was shocking to me because it was all about security cameras and we'll be or physical security, right? Or we we lock something, yep. right? Hundred percent. Whereas AB, as you walk through an Iplocone, it's it's control, it's video, it's audio, it's it's signage, it's all those management platforms, it's. And they and, and security has really scaled out a bunch of standards um, that everybody kind of adheres to, BMSs, all related to the cameras. And so there's been this whole other, again, this language that we've had to learn to speak. From an integrator standpoint, when you ultimately get in there and start working with them, there's almost no difference, except yeah. they don't have the, the, diff, the, the, the equivalent levels of education. Security guys are heavily educated on the security infrastructure and tools and some best case there. The AV guys are heavily educated on the, you know, the Avixa and the NSCA stuff and and very educated there. And and by the way, you can even throw in the third curveball of the Bixie guys, right? And absolutely the voltage flow voltage guys are expanding dramatically as well. And so what we really learned as a team is that we've got to speak the right language depending on who the customer is on the other side of the table. Um, and and so that's that's probably been the single biggest change. Um, 
And we're, as a company, making much more investment. We're heavily involved in Avexa, obviously. We've been heavily involved in FSCA for many, many years. Um, shout out to Chuck, if he's listening. And some of the best videos at BLC that I've ever uh, seen, uh, a little yeah, yeah. shameless plug for yeah, business leadership. Yeah, yeah. Our team, dude, and the teams before, great job. Oh, you were but, pretty good on there, too. Uh, I did, but thank you. But, uh, um, but we're more, we're getting involved in, in CIA the organization on the security side as well to, to better understand. And and there are things like paths, right? Um, which is is straddling both them. Yep. And and so if you go talk pass at a security show, they know what you're talking about. Talk pass at an A V show, they know what you're talking about. So it's good to see the industry finding that commonality uh when there's problems out in the world that we have the ability to solve. It's interesting, uh, in the earlier part of that, you you talked about the different, let's call them low-voltage systems uh, and subsystems that security has wrapped their, their arms around, right? Paging. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would argue things like nurse call, yeah. intercom as well. Yeah. Things that 15, 20 years ago, your commercial AV integrators, that was bread and butter for them, and they've almost given up that space. Uh, it was interesting that you, you mentioned you know, that, that AV is still thinking about it, and that's a really fair point. They'll come back from a conversation, go, do we want this? Do we not want it? How do we do it? Yada, yada, yada. Security's like, nope, we do it all the time. We got it covered. Um, I, and, and that also speaks, talking about NSCA, you know, to their pivot to profit, was talking about that concept of a master integrator. So there's definitely that conversation going on within the the overall uh, pro-AV space. I think the, the one thing that I've seen in terms of being successful with security integrators is, which is very counterintuitive to the last statement, at the same time, they'll wrap their arms around something. They also tend to stay in their lanes. Sure. And what I mean by that is they'll bring in the partners. They'll bring in the subject matter experts. So I think we were talking before about, you know, the security uh, uh, the security area does not need to be that subject matter expert. Sure. They just need to know who to call. That's right. And they need to identify the opportunity, which I think is interesting. I don't know if that's a parallel to the AV space or not, but I think there's opportunity there is for the AV space. Yeah, I, I think so. And audio is a great example of that. There are very few security integrators, except for those who have purchased AV integrators, which we see a fair amount, right? Where they're 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 grabbing these small AV integrators. So they have that knowledge. They have the people that have got the Evixa certifications and that kind of thing. Um, but there's so many security dealers out there that don't know audio. And that's too kind of my, my earlier point, walk around a gigantic shell with almost can't find an audio security company. Yeah. Um, and so that's for us, that's why we see so much Greenfield in that, in that space. There's so much opportunity, but there is to your point, there's so much opportunity for the Navy dealers to, to partner with the security folks to say, look, we can bring this expertise into this project and we can go do some work together. And you could expand your share of wallet on every job because the one term I hear in security dealers all the time is sticky. Sure, I want to find ways to be sticky to my customer so that they only call me. And again, just interesting, I don't hear that conversation a lot. The AV dealers when we're going at visiting, um, and, and I'm, I've had some recent conversations with some principals that indicate that they get that now and they're looking to grow. I only say it not because I'm being judgmental or negative or mean, but because I'm seeing really good friends of mine on the AV side walk away from really significant jobs there. And some of these mass communication jobs are, you know, they're multi million dollar, seven, eight million dollar jobs for us. 
and we're watching AV guys walk away and we're watching IT network guys come in and grab them or security guys come in and grab them. And you're just like, I could easily have been a friend of mine in that territory who just didn't think it was their space. Yeah, the the concept of RMR and, and AV as a service or security as a service or technology as a service, I, I think is it's probably about two years ahead in the security market based on what we've seen, maybe three years ahead. Uh, AV is talking about it. I, you know, I haven't seen significant adoption yet. Uh, and, and this is not the time or place to talk about all the reasons yeah, for that. Sure. But I will say that security is definitely more progressive in that front. They are definitely more out there on the edge. Uh, I, I think AV owners deal it. They, they want to be sticky. They understand the concept of sure, such. Absolutely. Uh, but I do think it's a little bit more transactional in some ways. But again, my perspective on that. So I think it's a fair point. Um, control rooms lends itself to to uh, to a to a you know monetized uh, RMR subscription type model as well. What I always like to talk about in that space, since we since we got over here, is is your command and control systems, which extend inside the control room but also outside the control rooms, with what you do, should be seen as an operational asset, not necessarily a financial asset. So we want to be current. We want to have the state of the art stuff. We want to take full advantage of all these different systems and capabilities. Uh, to help us enhance situational awareness. And so by having that, uh, ha having an operational model where I'm paying an integrator to support that space, support that system repeatedly, makes sense. Yep. So there's your challenge, uh, AV integrators, to go out there and talk about the control room space in a very different light. And I guarantee you, your competition is not talking about it as we just said. Yeah, yeah. Listen, you know, one of the things that uh, consistently kind of blows my mind, for lack of a better term, is we work with a company called Single Wire. We resell their product. It's all software. It is mass communication. Again, to every device, it really complements what we do with our hardware. Um, and they're they're our mark company, right? So recurring revenue. Um, and one of the areas that they have compatibility of is Teams and Zoom and, and the whole UCAS world, right? Which is, as you and I both know, we've got hundreds of friends in the AV industry selling these UCAS rooms like crazy. But they're not taking a point of tying those into some kind of full facility communication system. There's not a little phone in the room anymore. There's a computer and a, a Zoom account or a Teams account and a webcam and a microphone. And, and if something happens in that facility, that person in that room may have no awareness that there's an issue going on. Okay? And so a product like Single Wire can easily tie into that which then opens again this whole new revenue opportunity with hardware and with other things that that they can do. And we, when we talk about schools, we talk about the impact to mass communication. They get to test their systems every day because it's they're they're making announcements and bell changes and you know schedule changes and same thing in the industrial world, right? When they're in a, we go into a factory or a refinery or a nuclear plant or. Same thing, it's it's being tested all the time, right? And it really creates a, a simple need that the ownership of those groups, uh, those, uh, those end users tend to look at and go, yeah, we absolutely have to have one of those. Yeah, that's perfect. Well, great, compliments what I'm already doing. Right. It's just expansion. The thought that went through my head just then was doing a fire drill on a corporate setting during an active Zoom call. That would be an interesting one. But you're right. They don't do the, uh, you know, schools now do active shooter drills. They're still doing fire drills and what have you. So they're testing that system. It's one of the things we talk about all the time. When say last time you can come up with someone being lost at a school in a fire. Yep. Yep. It's, and, and yes, it's a difference in materials, but it's also a difference in drill and preparation and awareness and a system. Yep. 
that works all the time. So it's a it's a huge thing, and it's very much a model that we're working with our customers again, going back to our slot expert and in going in and taking the whole process a step further and saying, listen, not only are we going to help you get a solution to need, but then we're going to bring this expert in because he knows a lot more than we do. He's going to work with your kids. He's going to work with your staff. And we're, we're outlaying uh, the kind of work they should be doing as a recommendation to try to create more kind of a Mercedes Benz, you know, experience where that we're not just trying to sell you gear. We really are hoping that we can protect people should it need to be. And that's kind of the end product is people who are selling into the command control space and mission critical environments aren't doing it because they're trying to make a buck. Uh, obviously, we all need to pay our bills, yeah. but we're doing it because we have a passion yeah. for supporting those spaces and supporting the mission of those spaces. Uh, we take that very seriously, and I know you do too. So I'm going to wrap on this, which we probably should have started with. Um, for those people who do not know Atlas ID the way that I know Atlas ID, Take us through that a little bit. Obviously, there's two different companies that are at the heart of it back in the day, but they are who they are now. So walk us through that a little bit because it's a really interesting part of the story. Yeah, sure. I'll try to keep this as brief. And for all of those Atlas ID historians, if I should something up, sorry. Yeah, oh, uh, they're 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 brutal. Oh, yeah, I'm telling you. So Farsippany, New Jersey, 87 years ago, a company called Atlas Soundlayer is founded. Um, they make everything from you know, ceiling speakers and that kind of stuff eventually to speakers and uh, lights uh, and a full range of corporate audio product. They eventually expand to St. Louis and have a factory in Texas as well. Along the way, uh, there is another company called IEV, Innovative Electronic Design out of Louisville, Kentucky. They are building the head-in systems for a large transit environment, so that's all the airports we talked about. So they are the paging interface, the communication interface, but they aren't selling any of the endpoints. Along comes a guy named Lloyd Ivey that Lloyd made his money um, selling speakers in cars, right? So he had a, a speaker factory in Chicago and was trying to really get it off the ground and stuck a sub in his truck so he had it up in base. And people thought that was pretty cool. And that ended up growing to be $110 million a year in revenue through Circuit City. I don't need to tell you any more of that story because that pretty much explains sort of the future of that went. But the money generated by that, um, Lloyd looked at, and he bought a lot of car company, car audio companies, uh, but he also went, wow, we really need to get into the corporate space because if anything happens to the car audio industry, we would be out of luck. And so he went and bought Atlas Soundalier, right, and consolidated everything at that point to Texas um, where we still have a pretty large factory in, in Texas, about 45 minutes south of Dallas. Um, we do about 60% of our final production and assembly in that plant. So there's a lot of employers. We're one of the biggest employers in town and take a lot of pride in that, actually, a, a lot of pride in that. Um, he also went and, and, he, and he saw IED and he said, wow, these guys are selling all these head-ins for all these large transit opportunities. And I own a corporate speaker company now, right? So wouldn't it be great if we could kind of pair those things together? So that's what he ended up doing, buying innovative electronic design and uh, bringing it together so that when you walk to the Air Force, not only are we the head-in, we're all the speakers on the endpoints as well. And so that's kind of where that all evolved. And of course, that's amplifiers, transformers, and all of that business, which is still a steady, very steady part of our business. 
A uh, couple of other things happened along the way as well. So we talked earlier about 9-11. And so uh, the Department of Commerce had done a big Cisco SIP phone implementation there. And when they were doing a postmortem on how they responded, uh, they went back to Cisco and said, listen, the phones and the paging of the phones works really great. This is fantastic. Except if you're in anything bigger than an office, you can't really hear the announcement, right? So if you're in a classroom or a lunchroom or an airplane hangar, can't really hear it. So we love the technology. This is awesome. Can you make a speaker? And Cisco went, we don't think speakers, right? And so they called SignalWire. SignalWire said, yeah, we don't make speakers. And so they called us. And so the first batch of IP speakers went to the Department of Commerce in 2005. Now, funny thing, in small world, SignalWire is our biggest partner. Our organizations work very closely. We're on a third generation of product now, but we're still, that partnership is still where we're really focused in that security space. Along the way, one other big chapter is, as we all know, I, I'm, I'm an Amex X, right? I was at Amex for 17 years, right? Passion really bled that that company. Uh, they were acquired by Harman. Um, along the way, Harman did some pretty big reductions. One of the big reductions resulted in a lot of the engineering talent at uh, uh, Crown and VSS coming free. And John Ivey, our CEO, avoid some had now taken over the company. And so he went and hired um, most of, or a good chunk of the engineering and product management talent from both of those two companies. So we have offices today in Elkhart, Salt Lake City, and that drove the development of Atmosphere. Sure. And so now we have a whole new DSP line, which is helping drive all that Atlas out the product. Yeah. And then we have IPX, which is partnered up a single wire, we're driving all that. And then we still got our transportation team out there cranking away and, and selling global column, being full at a PA 72 done system. So it's really this conglomeration. We have some people that have been here all the way through that. Steve Alden and some others who have, who have been, who started in participant in New Jersey, who are still with the company today and and know kind of every story and, and are, are great people along the way. So. So, so historians correct him. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, sure. I'm for sure, I'm sure. Um, but it's it's a phenomenal story. It's a phenomenal company. And so family owned, still private, still, and, and still growing like crazy. I mean, for the record, we're we're booming. All right. So, talk to me about uh, Atlas ID in Barcelona to a first timer who's never been. Oh uh, uh, wow! So, There's a lot there. Yeah. Uh, so for us, we'll be involved with PSNI first with the design summit and reception, but we open up on Tuesday and you're going to want to be in our space. And I don't remember our boot number, so Gina's going to kill me on that. Hi, Gina. But, uh, but we will be introducing a brand new generation of product that everybody's going to want to see. And it's a big, big moment for us. So make sure you hit the Atlas ID. Excellent. And for what it's worth, PSNI will have a very new member. Michael, thank you for being my guinea pig oh, again. Uh, I think the only thing missing uh, is is a toast um, or a cocktail or something. I'm a little dry. Um, so I'm going to ask you one final question, which is favorite cocktail. Oh, well, I'm a bourbon person. That rocks. Uh, I like it on a rock, but but I'll, I'll do it neat. I like my scotch neat. I like my bourbon on a rock for appropriate. Awesome. Yeah, thank you again, my friend. Yeah, my pleasure. Excellent. Excellent.